Hi guys. Today I have another more whimsy story for you. Um, and I know that a lot of you are like, you're like me and you love the true crime stuff. So I just wanted to let you guys know that there is a doozy coming down the pipeline. I'm just putting the finishing touches on it. I'm going to record it right after I record this one. And it's going to be very exciting. So stay tuned. Before today, uh, do you guys like plants? Birds? A little bit of goofy medical history? This was supposed to be a mini, and then I found this great article about this woman. So it's going to be a little longer than I thought, but nice and whimsy and fun. So join me for an overview of the life of Sarah Frances Price, who loved nature and science and who often went by Sadie. We don't know the exact date Sadie Price was born, but it was in the year 1849, and she was actually born across the river, over in Evansville, Indiana. She was the third child of Maria and Alexander Price, and not long after she was born, they thought, you know what would be a great idea? Moving down to the great state of Kentucky to raise our children. So they ended up in Bowling Green, where her father opened either a grocery or a hardware store. And for 12 years, Sadie Price had a normal, run-of-the-mill childhood in Kentucky. Until 1861, when the Civil War broke out and everything went haywire. Price's family sided with the Union, and her brother joined the Union Army, while she, her sister, and her mother moved back to Indiana temporarily. And her dad was going to stay behind and kind of tie up some loose ends with his business in Bowling Green, and then he joined them. Um... Basically, the family wasn't making any friends in Bowling Green by being union sympathizers, and according to some of Sadie's writing, her dad was initially going to try and stick it out in BG, but I guess things got too tense with him being surrounded mostly by people siding with the Confederacy, so that's why he eventually joined them in Indiana. So during her time back home in Indiana, she was educated at St. Agnes Hall in Terre Haute, and then after the war, her family returned to Bowling Green. Now, her brother did survive the war, from what I understand, but sadly passed away, along with both her parents, suddenly, all within a five-year span in the 1870s. So that would put Sadie in her early 20s, and at that point, it was just Sadie and her one sister. They were left some sort of inheritance they could live off of for a while, but unfortunately, quote, Price became bedridden with a mysterious back ailment and would remain invalid for the next decade. I feel like in the 1870s, pretty much all ailments were mysterious to us. Uh, but anyway, we know the inheritance couldn't have been a whole lot because their dad actually lost most of their money when he had to hurry back north. So Price became an art teacher and she would teach students watercolor painting. And since she couldn't go anywhere, she would have her students collect things out, outside and bring them into her home, like birds and plants, so that she could lay there and teach them to paint using those items as subjects. So we don't know if this is really how her fascination with plants and animals started or if it was something before that. There's not really anything documented about how she got into her field. But we do know that while she was down, this is how she spent a lot of her time. And then after being just out of commission for years, she decided to go see this guy in Philadelphia, Dr. Weir Mitchell. 
And I always find anything medical related in the 1800s very interesting. So I looked this guy up and I'm going to have to go off on a little tangent about him um, because it's just interesting. It's not Kentucky related, but it's my podcast, so I'm going to do it. Dr. Weir Mitchell was quite a character. He started his career in the medical field researching rattlesnake venom because that was a big deal in the 1800s. Uh, If you want to know more about this subject, you should check out the Sawbones podcast episode on patent medicines. It's very entertaining. But yeah, he started with snake oil and then the Civil War happened and he thought, you know, there might be a more useful position for me than researching snake venom. So, he went on to become a contract surgeon at Turner's Lane Hospital, specializing in nervous diseases. And this career move helped him become known as the father, or a father, of American neurology. So, after the war, he stayed in Philly, working at the orthopedic hospital and infirmary for nervous diseases. He made some valid discoveries in his field, But he also invented what became known as the rest cure, which was for women, specifically women with hysteria, which is not a real thing. Hysteria was basically a code word for any time a woman was not acting like a perfect, quiet, complacent, happy woman. I do believe there's also a Sawbones episode on hysteria if you want to hear more about that. But yeah, the rest cure. Six or eight weeks of spa treatment, basically isolation, bed rest, high-calorie diet, massages, and electrotherapy. Um, If you're curious, you should also look up his West Cure, which was for men. It's very funny. Uh, He was also a pretty successful author and poet, for the record. So back to our girl, Sadie Price. She went to see this Dr. Mitchell for six months in 1880, And there's no details that I can find on what her treatment looked like for her back ailment. But by the time he was finished with her, she described herself as, quote, all patched up. And after this, her life really changed. She started studying like crazy and she would write papers and give lectures on all sorts of plants, animals, even clouds and astronomy. According to an article on Sadie from womenswork.org, which I'll link to in the notes, Sadie wrote over 40 scientific papers, which were published in a variety of popular and scientific journals. Her first two published works were actually not scientific. One was called Songs from the Southland, and the other was a compilation of Shakespeare quotes. So she was just a well-rounded lady. She taught classes and would take groups of students on field trips, either on foot, by boat, or on horseback through the Kentucky woods. Not just in Bowling Green, but all over Southern Kentucky. Um, It's worth mentioning that it was still appropriate for women to wear full length, big old annoying skirts out in public. And that's what she wore on all these hiking expeditions, which is just baffling to me. I would not be graceful hiking in a full length skirt. According to a Kentucky Warbler article from 1959, one of her favorite trips to take was to Edmondson County. But this was a little tricky because one, the terrain in that area was a little rougher, 
and two, it was a haven for moonshine distilleries. So the story goes that she would take trips out there, and this guy with a gun would kind of just appear every time. And he told her and her group that he was just out hunting and was just going to hang with them while they worked. But the real reason was probably he was making sure that they didn't stumble upon any of the stills, or there could have been some trouble. Anyway, she had this steel container called a vasculum, which she would use to bring home the specimens she'd collect out in the woods. And once she got them home, she would dry, press, and mount them, creating her own personal herbarium. So she would have all these beautiful dried plants and things up on her walls, and then she would paint them all. It's just, it just sounds like such a lovely way to spend your life. So after a long time spent collecting and painting all these things, her collections were put on display at the 1893 Chicago Columbian World's Fair, which was also mentioned in the Nancy Green episode. And she won a first place award for her collection, which is pretty neat. It's just fun to imagine this Midwestern woman who'd been a teenager growing up during the war and then bedridden for like a decade goes off and wins this great prize over a hundred other contestants. Another thing you have to think about is that she was pretty isolated in her interests. There weren't really any other scientists, especially not women, hanging out in BG in the late 1800s. Any correspondence she had with other scientists would be by mail, except for maybe the occasional visit from professors from the University of Kentucky. She was also advanced for her time in a lot of ways, and that fact alone made her isolated from her community. She believed in women's suffrage, and she was probably agnostic. There's no record of her belonging to any church, which was unusual for the time. And that, coupled with the fact that she did a lot of things that were considered to be masculine, made her kind of an outcast. She was also described by her students as being fairly unattractive, tall and thin, nervous and shy, though incredibly friendly. People tried to get her to have her picture taken since she published so many things. Uh, They thought she ought to have her picture somewhere, but she was pretty adamant about not being photographed. And the only photograph we know of of her didn't even appear anywhere until it was included in her obituary. In July of 1890, she was invited to be a member of the National Science Club of Washington, D.C. In the years following, she was adding about 25 new species per year to her list, per year to her list, including lots of ferns and some cave plants. Ferns were probably her favorite thing to study. She really liked them, and she was concerned about the rate at which they were being destroyed, especially in the eastern mountains. She had one collection published in 1897 called the Fern Collector's Handbook and Herbarium, which had 72 full-page drawings of hers of ferns from the eastern United States, which I bet was a really pretty book to look through. And if you look up her drawings, you can see a bunch of them online. They are really pretty. Um, She would paint butterflies and moths, although she didn't particularly like bugs. Um, But she would draw them lifelike, of course, but with one wing showing, like, the front and the other showing the back of the wing so she could document what both sides looked like, which also made for some really cool art. Uh, During the span of her work, she discovered several new plant species, five of which are named after her. um, An aster, Price's groundnut, a dogwood, a wood sorrel, and a violet. All of their scientific names end in Priciana. 
She also really liked to study and draw or paint birds, and she would sometimes go to the local taxidermist to get her hands on some bird specimens. You know, as one does. And good on you for hanging in this long, because here's what I think is the most interesting part of this episode. Her first publication about birds was titled Queer Misfortunes of Birds, okay? And it is about just that. I'm going to quote now on what the book is about from a 1959 publication of the Kentucky Warbler. Quote, In this, she described a crow blackbird, Grackle, which had perished by becoming caught by the neck in a string in a tree overhanging the road. A hairy woodpecker was found dead with its bill driven into the trunk of a tree with such force that it could not extricate itself. The rest of the article is about diseases in caged mockingbirds. So there's that. Sadie Price had a dark side about her. She also became more interested in shells toward the end of her life, and she published The Nautilus in 1900, which was a list of 151 land and freshwater shells that she'd collected mostly around Warren County. Like I said, she never really got into bugs or insects that we know of. Uh, She painted some butterflies and moths, because who doesn't love those? She did write one thing called the Journal of American Folklore. Uh, tried to figure out what this was, and it kind of sounds like she was like making fun of superstitious people in her community. And it was also a list of slang terms for local birds and plants. So I don't know, I didn't really understand that one. But her very last article, which was published posthumously, was simply titled Kentucky Birds. And it was a list of 36 birds that she considered unusual or worth note in southern Kentucky. This list included the snowy owl, golden eagle, long-billed curlew, Franklin gull, sandhill crane, and snowy egret. And she was becoming a really well-known figure in her field when she passed away suddenly on July 3rd, 1903. And she died of dysentery, as so many did at the time. But she was only 54 years old. And it's just really sad when you think about her like growing up during the war and then being bedridden for all those years, and then she gets out and really starts thriving. She's producing all this work, she's winning awards, and then passes away at 54 years old. Uh, When she died, several of her projects and her journals were just like partially finished, so she was still really working hard. I mean, she sounds like she was in her prime. Um, It's just really unfortunate. After she died, her sister Mary really wanted to have all of her stuff together and, like, have it honored somewhere. Um, She put a bunch of her papers and artwork together and submitted it for publication. And then the director of the Missouri Botanical Garden, Dr. William Trellis, bought 2,912 sheets, of which 965 are sketches, largely in color. Uh, Later, Mary ended up giving another 250 sketches to the Missouri Botanical Garden, so they've just got a ton of her stuff. Also, she sent them a bunch of plants from uh, Sadie's garden, so they have a bunch of her work and her plants, which I think is really neat. Uh, I hope all that stuff lived. Uh, Mary also made a sort of scrapbook with all her sister's obituaries from various papers and articles, Um, and there was this quote 
about Sadie, and it was um, it was a reverend who said this, and I just, I, it sounds like a very nice compliment. I'm just going to read it for you. She was a true high priestess of nature, a vestal virgin lifting reverently the rustling veil which God is weaving to screen his face from mortal eyes. I don't, it sounds nice, right? Um, so yeah, that's, that's really the story of Sadie Price. Uh, they went on had and had the Sadie Price Nature School without her for another 15 years after she passed away, where, you know, young people could go and get an introductory course to nature, which is kind of nice. So yeah, I mean, I feel like she, uh, she had the potential to do so much more and I, I, I'm, I'm saddened that she died in her fifties, but, um, she did a lot in her time, and her work is really beautiful. So um, you can Google her name, look it up, uh, look up her artwork. You won't find pictures of her. You'll find the one. But uh, the work of her art is really pretty. So that's the story of Sadie Price. I do so appreciate you all listening to another episode of Kentucky History and Haunts. If you are enjoying the podcast, make sure that you click that subscribe button wherever you are listening. If you haven't already, you can follow the Instagram and the Twitter at KY History Haunts. There's a Facebook page. There's a Pinterest. And if I need to make a correction or you would like to suggest a topic, you can email kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. Uh, I love talking with you guys. I love getting listener suggestions. I've got a whole list. I've got a whole list of stuff. It's long. Um, people were like, you're going to run out of topics. I was like, no, Kentucky is a pretty big state. I'm good. So yeah, I, if I haven't done your topic yet, I will. I will get to it. I promise. Um, like I said, I've got a pretty good true crime coming your way next week. So stay tuned. And once again, thank you all so much for all of your support and for listening. And until next time.